So again, good morning, welcome. Uh, if you're visiting Church of the Lamb, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, but for those of us who have been a part of the Church of the Lamb for a while now, today marks a massive step of faith for the life of our body. Uh, our church has been indelibly shaped over the past four years by being rooted in one single community in a worship space that was absolutely gorgeous. But we've embraced a vision, a vision that's taken time for us to embrace, for us to discern. It's been a journey for us to discern what it means for us to follow God together as a family. And this is hard for any family to figure out what it means to walk together, isn't it? And it's even harder for a body of Christ in some ways. We're not joined by the same things, by blood. And so sometimes it's as if we feel we don't have to walk together. And yet we have been joined by blood, the blood of Christ. And so we have to find ways of walking together in love and in faith. And this is what Church of the Lamb has been trying to figure out how to do together for the past four years. And here we are today in a, a very different season in the life of our church. Together we have embraced this new vision to be a regional church for East Rockingham. That is why we're here. There's still lots of good, hard work ahead for us. Now what is it? this mean for Church of the Lamb? What is it that we're being called to do now? Now, there's good news here. We're doing it. What we're doing right now is what God is calling our church to be and do. What we're doing right now is what makes us as individuals and as a group. We worship. This is who we are. This is what we do. In worship, Christians reenact the Christian story. We relive its reality over and over again each week, and we imbibe its truth. So I want you to think about the Old Testament story with me, a flyover. When the patriarchs of Israel were called by God to leave their homeland and go to a place that God would show them, they left in faith. And wherever they stopped, they would often build altars, places to call on God and worship. Then when Israel was delivered out of Egypt, they went into the wilderness so that they could practice true worship. Do you remember this? When Moses went to Pharaoh, will you let the people of Israel go into the wilderness so that we may worship? And when he wouldn't, God delivered them and they went into the wilderness so that they could practice true worship. They built the tabernacle with all of its necessary equipment so that they could have this traveling sanctuary. I couldn't help but laugh thinking about this, just how much the Israelites would have loved a school to set up in every Sunday, right? Uh, in the process of thinking about how to create this space of, for worship, we thought for some time about doing pipe and drape. It was going to be like 30 drapes and this pipe that we would set up every weekend. And we thought, Lord, there's no way people are going to revolt against us. They will be like the children of Israel. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back. No. So we said, we can't do that. But this is what it was like for the people of Israel in some ways. 
Now, when, we, when the Israelites arrive in the promised land and they choose a capital city, they build the temple on its central hill, Jerusalem, an architectural fixture to remind them of who they are and what they're made to do. This is the center of our life together, a temple, a place of worship. Now, it's in the New Testament too. Conversion to Christianity means that you become united with a group of people who worship the God-man, Jesus Christ, who celebrate the forgiveness of sins, the conquering of death, the hope of resurrection, and the renewal of all things through Christ. In worship, we are reenacting the Christian story. We are reliving its reality, and we are imbibing its truth. Worship is not just one of the many practices of the church. It is our definitive practice. Now, this being said, we are also surrounded in modern life by a creeping secularism. An attempt to minimize God in the public sphere in nearly every aspect of life, whether it's legal, moral, educational, and so on. I just came across an excerpt from a new book titled Dignity. Chris Arnade, I believe is how it's pronounced, the author, he was a, a bond trader on Wall Street. And he was not very satisfied in his work. It, it, he was around wealthy people all the time. He, he was very, in a very enclosed world. And he began taking walks in the worst parts of the Bronx. Places known for drugs and prostitution. Slowly, he started talking to the people he encountered, eventually taking pictures and writing about them. And then this led to him leaving his job as a bond trader and traveling across the country, doing the same thing with poverty-stricken people uh, across the country. Now, the pictures and stories are what make up this book, Dignity. Now, the part I want to draw out for us is that Arnaid perpetually found himself having to deal with his bias against religion and faith. He was an atheist. In his work on Wall Street, he was given to thinking that he had all the answers. With enough intellectual prowess, energy, or money, any problem could be solved. But in these areas of poverty... He found that the only place people were given genuine value, treated like humans, even the addicts and the prostitutes, was in the church. In his words, the church would say, enter as you are, letting forgiveness wash away a past that many want gone. You're welcome as long as you try. The churches understand, he says, that everyone is a sinner and everyone fails. But he goes on to say the rest of the world, the courts, the hospitals, the welfare office, police stations, even some of the nonprofits and schools, they don't understand that. And here's the clincher. That cold, secular world of the well-intentioned is a distant, judgmental thing. This is what he says about his own world. And this is where his conversion came about. By seeing that the cold and secular world that he was a part of was a distant and judgmental thing. Here's Arnaid's final insight from his work with the poor. Faith is not just useful. It's true. Faith is not just useful. It's true. 
In worship, again, we reenact the Christian story. We relive its reality and we imbibe its truth. Worship reorients us to the truth about the world and about ourselves. That we, all of us, all of humanity, along with the world itself, are lovingly, beautifully created, tragically broken, hopelessly broken in a sense, but sacrificially redeemed. Worship is the source of resistance to the idolatries and the lies of the public world that would exclude God. Now, of course, none of this is to say that worship of the triune God eliminates mystery or questions. In fact, to surrender to worship is to be drawn deeper into the mystery that is God. Father, Son, and Spirit. So this is what we're doing at Church of the Lamb. We're becoming a worshiping community. We're learning together to worship. How is it that worship is to fill out our lives in our families, in our friendships, in our vocations? How do we do that? This is what we're learning together. Through our children's ministry with our our program, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, we're leading our children to become lifelong worshipers. This is what we're calling them into. This is our primary calling as a people and as a church, to worship. Now, the problem is that we're prone to think of worship as not having a lot of production value, cash value. It's like the 15 minutes of exercise in the morning. Is it really going to help that much? And so we just choose not to do it sometimes. But this is looking at things the wrong way around. Because from our worship also flows a whole life discipleship. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul the apostle writes this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the word for worship is the word that we use for liturgy. It describes our worship service. The service that is offered in worship is from us toward God. It's the worship that belongs to God. Now, Paul goes on to write in this same passage, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this is the thrust of what we heard read to us from 2 Corinthians 2. Did you hear this from 2 Corinthians? Listen to it again. Beholding the glory of the Lord We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. The greatest service that any human can offer to the community, to their friends, to each other, is to experience the transformation that enables us to see ourselves, each other, and the world rightly, through the right eyes. And that that kind of transformation happens through the act of beholding Christ in worship. Now, I realize this is a fairly obvious statement, but I'm not going to take it for granted. To behold something is to hold it in view. 
It's to hold it in your view always, perpetually in your view. So to behold Jesus Christ, to be transformed by Christ, means we're always holding Christ within our gaze. Within our mind's eye is Christ, the true human, the perfect one who gave himself for us, was raised for us. We're alert to Christ's presence in worship and his spirit who is with us at all times. When we surrender to Christ in worship, when we behold him in our lives, we experience a transformation that brings life to the world. So worship, counterintuitively, is the most important gift we bring to the world. Because we can see the world rightly. We can see ourselves rightly. We can see each other rightly. Worship enables us to recall the truth and to embody the truth. So from worship flows whole life discipleship. That's not the only thing. From this kind of whole life discipleship, becoming whole and true people flows whole life evangelism. You see, these are the three aspects of Church of the Lamb's vision. Worship, discipleship, and evangelism. These are the things that don't change regardless of where we are. Worship, discipleship, and evangelism. The church's job is always to seek more worshipers. Because when we behold the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Christ, we long for it to bless our neighbors and our community. God longs to reconcile all people to himself. The world that surrounds us yearns for a stability, a morality, a security, fidelity, faith, hope, and love. And these things cannot come apart from the one who is truth. We as a body have to find ways of evangelism that are not Christianized forms of waterboarding. This is what I saw growing up. So many evangelism tactics actually in trying to tell people about Christ take away the dignity that Christianity affirms for them. They don't listen to them as people. Treat them as people, as image bearers of God. The early Christians, though, saw evangelism as a twofold work. It was certainly the act of proclamation, of telling the good news of God's kingdom having arrived in Christ, his death for the sins of the world, his resurrection, and his promise to return to renew all things. But this proclamation was always embodied in acts that were generous, sacrificial love, displaying the presence of God's kingdom having broken into the present. And this is the kind of evangelism we must learn. Whole life evangelism, where the proclamation and the people match. Now, this does not mean that we have to become perfect people to do this, but it means we embody the humility of those who have been undeservedly loved and forgiven. What are we called to be as Church of the Lamb? What are we called to do? We are called to worship. To behold Christ, to contemplate Christ, and in doing so to be transformed, to bear within ourselves the truth about our beauty as God's image bearers, and also our brokenness and our redemption. And in doing this, 
to share with our community the good news of God in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.